0: Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Album, and joining me again today is Andrew Davis from PassiveInvesting.com. But today, Andrew is talking to us about his personal investment where he's actually developing some raw land and putting some Airbnb cottages on it. So let's get into it. Andrew Davis, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the podcast, happy to
0: have you. Michael, it is so good to be back.
1: Yeah, Awesome. Um, so before we hit record here, you were just telling me about what it is that you're working on in your personal portfolio. And that's really what I want to focus on today. But for those of you that may have not caught your prior episode about passive investing, mm-hmm. give us a quick elevator pitch, who you are, where you come from, and what is it that you're doing in real estate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. Let's see, I'm Andrew Davis. I'm the director of investor relations for PassiveInvesting.com and we are a commercial real estate private equity group. We partner with individual passive investors to acquire really solid multifamily self-storage Car wash assets uh, throughout primarily the Sun Belt markets, and really our goal as a group is to build wealth alongside our investors for the long term. And to that end, we are continuing uh, to source just tremendous risk-adjusted, recession-resistant uh, investments, and we get to partner with now over uh, one thousand eight hundred passive investors that are uh, partnered with us in our different assets. So that's my uh, that's my my day job what I do day to day, and I and I love it. And um, yeah, I came from the Kind of came from the, uh, the sales consumer packaged goods world, which uh, I liked the people aspect and didn't love what I was doing. So truly enjoy what I'm doing and, and uh, getting to work with investors every day.
1: Right on. And so that's what you do during the day. So what do you moonlight yes. as?
0: <laughs> so I moonlight as a, uh, a husband to my awesome wife and uh, also a short-term rental uh, investor and now developer So we just closed on a piece of property. We live in Asheville, North Carolina, which is an amazing short-term rental market. And we just closed on uh, just shy of five acres, about 10 minutes west of downtown with some incredible views and uh, are in the process of subdividing that land to build a short-term rental Airbnb cottage community.
1: Holy smokes. And so this is, you're doing this all on your own now, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that process, because it's something that I know that I've thought about doing personally as well. Um, I think some people are attracted by the short-term rental return that's out there, but you are starting from scratch. I mean, you're taking raw land, doing the build, doing the development, doing the ownership, and then taking this full life cycle. So walk us through that,
0: man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's really really for, you know, for, for me, and I don't know that I necessarily recommend this approach for everybody, but I'm very much a figure it out as I go kind of guy. And (laughs) and sometimes that served me very well. And other times that's not served me very well. But I think my key learning in kind of, kind of realizing how I operate is really I can I can be the figure it out as I go guy if I have a really, really good partners and really good advisors. And so when we moved up here, we were very fortunate to actually develop a really strong friendship with our with our developer, our builder and, and his wife. And so he's been a tremendous resource for us in this project. I don't know anything about land. I mean I didn't I know a ton now after the last after the last four months of going through all the due diligence and learning about Topographical maps and surveys and uh, the road requirements and and subdividing all the different things that go into that and even the financing portion. But very fortunate to to have uh, to to have that connection with him. And so we looked at several pieces of property. We looked at one that I thought was really cool, and he was like, "Never." He's like, "This is a terrible idea. You'll lose so much money." And and so uh, really, the process has just been learning a ton uh, from him. Really leaning on he and and his wife's experience. They've done a lot of uh, single family as well as kind of some small community development. And so 20 plus years of experience and, and getting to, uh, you know, benefit from his failures and mistakes made and everything that he's learned. So yeah, really yeah I think in this in this real estate environment, it's because uh, there's such a supply shortage, as we know, right? which is driving up home prices and rents and demand for both both single family and multifamily assets. I think that there's a lot of value in development because, a you get to build it exactly how you want it mm-hmm. you uh, don't have i mean there's always issues but but the likelihood of having any major issues in a purchase is very is very very low you're going to have very low capex and then from uh, from an investment in an appeal to either a short-term run or a long-term run or a new a new a nice new property is always going to be more appealing than uh, than an older than an older one so yeah it's been a it's been a it's been a uh, a neat process for us to learn. And then also just kind of in this environment, even though construction costs are high, um, I'd rather, I'd rather have something brand new than, than something old that I have to renovate and maintain.
1: Totally. And then, so are you going to yeah. self-manage these units once they're done? Or are you going to have them with a full service property manager?
0: Uh, we are actually building out a management model a management company. So, because um, of course, why not? <laughs> why not, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much automation. I mean, there's so much that you can do. You, know, you can hire a VA to handle all the, um, you know, all the the messaging and things like that. You can just we have a we have an FAQ that we've developed we're running our Airbnb for the last year, and as really as which is true in any industry, you're going to get that you're going to get the same 10 questions over and over again with very little nuance. You'll have little random ones here and there, but for the most part, you get the same questions. So, so much of that can be managed virtually. And then we've been very fortunate to connect with some great cleaners here that go above and beyond. And we're actually going to incentivize them on like reviews and um, Mm. kind of little little, uh, like personal touches. Like one of the things that we do is my wife's a designer. So, she created this station, this custom stationery, And we write, a, our cleaner writes a little handwritten note, just whatever, with the, whatever the guest's name is with a checklist that shows all the cleaning that they had done, just saying, Hey, so glad to have you. Hope you have an amazing time. And so we're just building in little processes and automating things like that. So it's a really personalized experience for the guest.
1: That's so great. Yeah. Andrew, I'm, I'm curious if you can give us a little bit of insight into like the meat and potatoes and, and some of the numbers behind this project to give people an idea of like the scale. And if it's something that they if they're interested in doing, you know, how they could go ahead and get involved and do something like this for themselves.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's so, it's, it's really, really, I think it's really, uh, the data is so important, right? And so we have some, we have some very subjective data from running our own Airbnb that's actually in our basement for the last year or so. And so we have a very, very good sense of what we can achieve, both from an occupancy and a cash flow perspective. And then we just go very conservative there, right? I mean, this is, we're, we're not the only people that are doing this. There's a lot of people doing this, so there will be saturation. You will see, you will see rates go down. But you know, typically, I think what you can expect on a very conservative basis is, from a gross revenue perspective, uh, double what you would achieve from doing a long-term, you know, twelve-month lease and having okay. a long-term tenant in an asset. We use a, we use a. Um, pricing tool called wheelhouse. That's great. You've got a lot of levers that you can adjust with that, but it basically automates your pricing on a daily basis based on Seasonality and demand and comps and all different kinds of things. So it's, it's constantly adjusting our pricing to to maximize both occupancy and revenue. And so from and and uh, if if you, know, you in the audience didn't get this already, I'm not a super detailed guy, so I, I did some <laughs> some back of the napkin numbers, but uh, just just had a very strong intuitive sense about about this and and uh, know the demand. And so uh, you know I think I think a very good back of the napkin calculation if you're in a good short term rental market is that you can expect at least double gross revenue. So if you've got a if you've got a place that'll rent for two grand a month as a long term rental, bare minimum, middle, you should be able. If you're running it well and it's nicely furnished and and uh, good photos, I mean, just basic stuff, you'll you should be able to get you know four grand minimum per month on on average.
1: Right on. And mm-hmm. what about from an expense ratio perspective? Because I think so many of us are comfortable. We know what a traditional single family rental. Expense ratio yeah. might look like based on the nature and the weather and the you know vintage of the home. How do you figure that sure. kind of stuff out for, for a short term rental?
0: You know, interestingly enough, so I've run I've had a bunch of long term rentals over my uh, over my you know, long career as a real estate investor, and interestingly enough, what we found is that the short term tenants actually treat the property much better, and mm. I think that part of the reason for that is because we review them. And so you Ah. have (laughs) the mutually assured destruction, (laughs) but, but I mean, it's a real thing, right? When you have a guest, if you, if, if somebody's, if you have an Airbnb and somebody requests to book, you can look at their reviews and I'm always skeptical if somebody doesn't have any reviews or if somebody has some bad reviews, we're going to think twice uh, about that. And so what I've found from a, from an expense perspective is that a lot of the expenses are in so you have your cleaning, but you know you can charge a cleaning fee. So they, the cleaning fee is actually a, a small profit center for us. I think we charge our guests a seventy-five dollar cleaning fee, and I think our our cleaning uh, our cleaning lady charges us sixty-five bucks to to clean. So we make a little a little bit there. Uh, but that's really the primary expense. You know, you'll have to the furniture is going to get a lot more wear and tear if you're you know, 90% occupied or whatever it is. So you've got to build that in. But I think that your expense ratios from like a maintenance perspective are going to be very similar to a, a long-term rental. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons that we like buying buying newer is that you can achieve higher revenues and you don't have, because everything's new, you're just not going to realize or see a lot of those maintenance or capital expenditures for a long period of time. And so I, I would say from a maintenance perspective, you're going to, uh, your uh, again, if you're running it well, if you're if you if you're catering to the right to the right clientele, you're going to have uh, pretty similar costs there. Really, I think the biggest the biggest the expense is going to be whether you self manage or you outsource to a vacation rental management company, and they'll charge you anywhere. It's you typical typical property management fees for a single family rental is going to be around 10. percent Some higher, some a little bit lower, but that seems to be pretty industry standard. Vacation rentals can be anywhere from like 15 to 30. And with a variety of different services and options, being totally hands-off, being more hands-on, there's a lot of companies out there that are doing it. But for us, we've just, again, been able to to um, get some virtual help and then find really good cleaning uh, cleaning help that we incentivize them, not just on cleaning, but on kind of the overall guest experience and they've been willing to go above and beyond. So uh, for us, that saved us 20% plus. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. And so you mentioned that you're gonna be developing this whole property management arm of your business or independent business itself. So are you going to be taking on other clients then or is this really uh, developed out of necessity for your own personal needs?
0: I think developed out of necessity and, and, and we, Isabel and I both have this like just crazy hospitality background. I worked in restaurants for years. We both come from just like very, very hospitable families. And so we're huge on experiences and creating just amazing experiences. And we want to build, we want to, we want to automate that. And we want to make that just, uh, just, we just want to make it automatic. We want to build out a company and a team that, that is incentivized to, uh, to create those kinds of experiences. And so I just, I don't, I don't, the answer is I don't know. I don't foresee us taking on, you know, third-party clients or managing other, um, other people's properties because we're so particular, about uh about our spaces and the kinds of furnishings that we have and you know how quickly we respond to requests like we've had a couple issues arise right we've had um you know, the AC didn't work the other day. And, and it was only like for six hours or something like that, we had somebody out there right away to get it fixed. But we just refunded them because it was like, we want you to have the most amazing experience. We want you to come back. And so I think for us, if we don't have that full that full kind of vertical integration control where we own the property and we can control the experience from from top to bottom, then I don't, don't foresee us for doing that.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. And so maybe you could talk to our listeners a little bit about what goes into that management side of things sure. if someone is considering self-managing?
0: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is if you're, you know, it depends on which platform you're using. But I mean, Most people use on Airbnb. The biggest thing is beyond just furnishing your property well and having nice, um, just, I mean, use your brain for five minutes, you know, have, have, it's <laughs> easier said than done for a lot of people. So, you know, you would think, you know, like, what do you, what do you need in your house? Like toilet paper and towels and, and, a, you know, filtered water and coffee. And I mean, you know, decent linens and extra pillows. And I mean, I don't know, it's just stuff that it comes very, very natural to us, but just think about what you would like the old golden rule and then do that for your guests. Yeah. Uh, but really the biggest piece is communication, right? And so Airbnb has a, an algorithm where they, they basically rate you on how quickly you respond to requests and how quickly you respond to, to, to messages. So that's a that's a big piece of it. I think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest, the, the, really what's made this so hands-off for us is having an amazing cleaning person. So, you know, mm-hmm. I would just say rather than trying to, you know, low ball or go for the lowest cost, go for somebody that's going to Um, That's going to take some ownership and responsibility. And then I would say incentivize them, right? When you get a good review, kick them, I don't know, kick them five bucks, right? If somebody mentions the cleanliness or something like that, make sure you let them know and make sure that they're, uh, they're incentivized and aligned with what you're, you're trying to accomplish because you're just, you can't, you can't build anything without having amazing, amazing people. And it's the it's the details like the cleanliness and the organization and having somebody walk into a space that feels very well uh, put together. And I mean, even we even go down to like, you know, have this certain light on and blanket folded this way. And I mean, it's little things, but it's it all you, you walk into a space and we all know this, right? You walk into a space and you go, oh, this is nice. Or you walk into a space and you go, oh, I don't, I don't know, it just feels it just feels janky in here. I don't like it. So we want obviously want everybody to have the, the former experience.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes so much sense. So Andrew, talk to me a little bit about how, or even if you would be open to doing this type of investment and this, you know, development investment remotely, Mm. or is so much of this able to be done because you're local, you and your wife Mm. are local?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. No, I would. It would just, man, it just, again, it goes back to the people you just got to, you have to find really, really good people to, to do that remotely. And if you can find good people in a market that you can trust on the development and construction side of things, as well as the management side of things. And, uh, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about this digital world that we live in is you can, you can have, there's tons, there's apps out there now where you can have a cleaning checklist and every time somebody goes through and cleans, they take pictures of all the different things, you know, and you can, you can see from wherever you are in the world. Hey, these, these things are being accomplished and, and, um, you can communicate with your guests from wherever. And, and uh, there's so many things that you can build in. So even if you're not physically present, I mean, our goal would be that we could be anywhere in the world and that our guests would be having the same amazing experience, whether we're there or not. So I think it's certainly doable, but you just gotta, gotta find the right people. And you, I think you, especially in this, uh, in this crazy labor, inflationary environment that we're in, you got to be willing to pay maybe more than you think that you should pay. That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And
1: now I'm curious, you said that you're, you're subdividing these, the land and you're putting up this community. So Mm -hmm. just in curiosity, why are you subdividing? Is it so that you have the ability to sell
0: one-offs down the road? Correct. Yeah. So we're actually also going to live on this property. And so we, Our goal, our dream has been to have some land and uh, like have a little farm community and sort of have that integrated with our uh, our cottages or whatever. And so we're subdividing it uh, partially just, yes, to make uh, make an exit down the road easy if we want to go that route. But then also because it's very challenging to get like a hybrid loan. If you're going to have a single family home that you're going to own or occupy, and then you're also going to have investment property. And so basically we're subdividing it. We're going to put commercial construction debt on the Airbnb cottage community. And then we're going to, we're going to do a residential construction loan for, for our portion of the property.
1: Awesome. And for those of our listeners that might not be familiar with what either of those products are, can you talk to us a little bit about how they work and, and why you went that route, as opposed to going with a different type of product?
0: In terms of a debt product, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, yes. So, with uh, with commercial construction debt, um, it's you you have different you have different. Uh, like different LTV, loan to value, for example. And so they're generally, it depends on what lender we've we've connected with a great local lender, but they're generally not going to lend you more than like all in 80, maybe 85% loan to cost. So if you uh, say paid, I don't know, say 100 grand for the land and your construction is going to be 500 grand, then they're not going to lend you more than 80% 80% yeah, of 600,000. <laughs> yeah. Whatever 80% of 600,000. Um, again, not a, not a detail. Uh, so they're generally not going to lend you more than that, but if you're owner occupying, you get much better terms. And so we only have to put down um, 10% or they'll lend us up to 90% of the land and construction costs on that side of things. So uh, we, we, we did it that way, and then also from just a, a protection and a growth perspective, the the cottages and the dwellings will be in our LLC and our, our home, our, our single family home that we'll be owner occupying will be probably be in a trust or a, you know or, or in our personal names. Uh, so that's that's the reason for that, and that's why you have two different two different debt products. Most lenders are not going to do one loan that's going to encompass uh, business and personal, just because there's uh, legal liability implications there. And if you do find somebody that's going to do that, they're probably going to charge you a crazy interest rate. Yeah. So Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah,
1: And so mm-hmm. on. when I did a development, I'm actually still in the midst of it. I got my construction loan, which yeah. was interest only for a good chunk of time. And then it converted to a mm-hmm. fixed product for X number of years at whatever amortization yeah. and they dropped the interest rate down a little bit. Is that similar
0: type of product to what you're using? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, very, very similar. So yeah, it's got a, it's got basically, while you're in the construction process, you're kind of one set of terms. And then once that's completed and you get that CO, then it converts into a fixed long-term principal and interest. Okay.
1: And how Mm -hmm. easy was that to get being that this is your first, I guess I just take a step back. Is this your first development, true development project?
0: This is our first development uh, project. And the answer is TBD. So far, so good. We just closed on the land last uh, week. So we're still subdividing it. Uh, And I've had really good conversations with lenders. I think because of what I do uh, work-wise and my experience there, connections, um, income, all that, I think think we'll be good. We haven't run into any snags yet, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I'm, I'm confident uh, that that, it'll, that, it, that it should be fine. Okay. But, but don't know for sure yet. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, what I'm thinking about is, yeah. is all the folks out there that are intrigued by your story or excited about doing this type of work. And if they don't have a yep. track record behind them, how easy is it for them mm-hmm. to, going to be to go to a lender and say, hey, this is my plan. This is my project. Uh, can you give me lending for yeah. it? And are they going to hit a wall yeah. and say, well, you haven't done anything. You don't have a track record. You don't have a, a resume yet go do that first. But it sounds like for you, that was not the case.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. That wasn't the case for me. And I think it's because I have done a bunch of, well, I haven't done ground up construction. I have done a bunch of renovations. I've been owning and operating single family rentals. I've done flips for the last eight years. I work in commercial real estate day in and day out. But the other thing I would say too is, you can, you could get some bridge debt, some higher interest bridge debt from like a kind of a hard money lender, just to uh, to acquire the land to get your project developed, and then you could refinance that into longer term debt once you have, um, you know, once you have a proof of concept. And the other thing too is, I think that you know, in chatting with uh, with different lenders there i talked to some people that oh no no don't we don't do short term you gotta have to because it's a business and so you have to have two years of business income but then there's this is this is there's going to be more and more debt products for this type of this type of thing now that the development piece um certainly does add nuance to it but i would say you know either be willing to get some some shorter term bridge maybe maybe higher interest debt to 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 acquire the land and develop and or just buy an existing property and get build a track record. You know, go buy a, go buy a home as a as a long term rental. Put twenty percent down or whatever it is, and then, you know, then create a track record. And then down the road you can develop. You in fact, if somebody's doing this for the first time, I don't know that I'd recommend development. I was very fortunate because of the connections I have and because of the experience I have uh, that it was, it was, uh, it's highly unlikely that I would screw it up because I'm, I'm completely removed from the process. But if there's somebody's first foray into this, I don't know that I would try to develop raw land into a uh, vacation rental property for my first <laughs> yeah. endeavor.
1: I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, my development project yeah. is, uh, is converting existing shell in commercial to residential. And so that's been a whole, yeah. a whole world. And there's no way that I would have done this uh, if it was my first, my first soiree. And the fact yeah. that it is my first, yeah. I mean, I made so many mistakes and so many headaches and so much brain damage from doing it uh definitely would recommend going the traditional route to get your teeth cut a little bit
0: the same the same
1: yeah awesome I totally agree. well andrew i can't yeah. wait to hear how this all works out for you we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about it any final thoughts for folks yeah, i'd love to uh before we let you out of here
0: no. Uh, let's see. I think, I think that's it. Thanks so much for having me on. You can, you can find me on LinkedIn, Andrew at passiveinvesting.com If you want to, if you want to connect and I'd be happy to happy to assist in any way I can, but always, always enjoy talking to you, Michael. Thank you so much for having
1: My me. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to doing it again soon. Take care, man.
0: All Bye. right. Take care.
1: Alrighty everyone, that was our episode. A big thank you to Andrew for coming on and sharing what he's going through right now. Very, very, very excited to hear how it all pans out for him. And we'll check in with him later down the road. If you enjoy the episode, as always, feel free to leave us a rating or a review as they're very helpful for us. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Happy investing.